Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Right, guys, welcome back to The Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest for me today. Uh, a great guest, a great mentor of mine as well, Noel Blake. Morning, Noel. How are you doing, man? Morning, Yas. I'm good, pal. Good to see you. Likewise, I'm very well, um, really pleased and really excited for this conversation. Also, but I'm conscious there's going to be people that do know you, people that don't. Um, so maybe just give us a brief rundown of who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, Noel Blake, um, former footballer. Uh, um, I had a sort of a, people may say, a, a long career. Um, you know, um, started at, at Aston Villa. Uh, late sort of mid 70s, mid to late 70s, an apprentice. Um, then went on from there. In fact, tell I was at a local non league club called Sutton Coalfield Town in Birmingham, and then went from there to Villa. Um, from Villa, I did my apprenticeship with Villa. Um, really good club for, for developing the young players, some good top pros, uh, managers first class all the way through. I was fortunate to be at the club when they've won the um, what is now the Premier League, the first division, and also they went on to win the um, European Cup, which is now the Champions League, the following year. So I was in and around the club, in and around it. Then I moved to Birmingham City after the manager left, Ron Saunders left to go to Birmingham. But in between that, I had a sort of a long spell of Shrewsbury Town, which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and that was really sort of, I came back in my thinking that I was ready for first team football. And then when the chance came to go to Birmingham, then obviously I went. Um, and being a Birmingham fan, <laughs> that sort of, um, you know, I was really pleased with that in, in terms of getting on to get first team football at that stage. Um, but 
because going back brief to Villa, I was part of a very, very good youth youth setup. Uh, that won the FA Youth Cup, um, youth, youth Cup Finals, Southern Junior Flood League Cup, as it was then back in the day. A number of players went on to play in the first team at Villa and had long careers in, in the Football League, you know, various different clubs, you know. Um, from there, from Birmingham, I went down to Portsmouth. Um, had four years, four very good years down at Portsmouth. Portsmouth after Portsmouth, I moved on to Leeds United. Um, again, some challenging times, but enjoyable times. All the clubs I've been to have been challenging for different reasons. Um, but Leeds was a, a really, really good experience, both on and off the field. Um, a which we'll come on to a bit, touch on a bit later on. And then from Leeds, I came to Stoke City. Um, and just sit, I want to reason I still live in the area now. I've been here 30 odd years since I moved from Leeds and just commuted. After I left Stoke, went to Bradford City, we commuted. <laughs> um, Bradford City, then on to um, to Dundee up in Scotland um, for a couple of years. And then from there to Exeter City, where I became a player assistant manager. And then from there became the manager. Um, I did seven and a half years altogether at Exeter. And after Exeter, I then moved on. Um, Exeter, then it was on to, I had a brief spell at Notts County, the first team coach. Um, quick change of management. Then I went to coach at Stoke City Academy, 13-14s, um, um, and various groups over, the, over a period of time. I left that for a while because I was then appointed, um, as I said to you yesterday in the, in the, in the room, I was appointed um, as a uh, one of the assistant coaches, assistant manager at Barnsley from uh, well, Goodyear Thorson, uh, a uh, Icelandic manager, who I'd only met briefly on a couple of occasions. Um, but he, as I said, I didn't realise he was watching the sessions from afar. And then he came in and asked me to come and be one of his assistants. And I thoroughly enjoyed working with Goodyear. And we still remain good friends to this day. After that, um, went back to Stoke um, after our contract was terminated. New, new, again, the usual one, new regime coming and they want to make all these fancy changes and whatnot. And uh, the year before, they finished one point off relegation. And we left them one point just outside the playoffs. <laughs> and the new regime, new, new, new owners. And that's the, uh, the, the industry we're in and the way we went. Um, but I went back to Stoke City, um, where I became academy out of the academy academy manager, um, and also the 18s coach, under 18s coach, and that I did four years with that, and then the knock came for the th second time, third time to, to go and join the FA um, as a development coach, and um, yeah, so I went on from there, and then after that, did seven seven and a half years at the FA. We were a lot of talented young boys, um, a lot of good coaches, a lot of good people in the organisation, coach education as well. One of my remits, worked on the pro licence, um, B licence, A licence, etc. Um, and then from there, again, new regime, things changed. I moved on, um, amongst others, you know, one of the, a lot of the change, change over the guard, so to speak. Moved on. Um, Went to Blackpool, um, again, as an assistant coach. Um, didn't work out the way it had planned. Um, a lot of foot, a lot of promises were made. Um, but 
also is false. Let's put it that way. It was false. Um, a lot of trial and tribulations on and off the field in terms of not having the players and facilities and so on and so forth. And we had, we had to go through a tough time, but uh, again, it was challenging. And then again, new managers come in, usual promises. Don't want you to leave, want you to stay, with, you know, this, that, other and whatever. But I had another job to go to um, back in coach head. And uh, false promises. Um, and then eventually, as he, as I always remember what he said to me, I want in the manager, I want to bring my best mate in. Um, so all of a sudden, where I had a job to go to two weeks before when the new when the previous manager left, all of a sudden now, I'm super to requirements. And so eventually, became a bit of a I became an agent. I worked on my own for my own consultancy. Um, I'm now at the moment. I'm doing a lot of uh, mentoring. Um, for various different organisations um, and individuals as well. Um, but I was running a football agency as well, along with part of the consultancy, but I decided to leave that alone um, about six weeks ago, uh, more for my own sort of sanity more than anything else. Um, and that sort of thing. So it's a, that's a little sort of a snapshot of where, where, where I've been. You know, obviously you've managed to kind of put together maybe 30, 40 years for us in a few in a matter of minutes. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's let's start with that. You know, right at the top of that, you know, you mentioned that you came through as a young player at um, Aston Villa. Um, mm. Obviously, a, a very big period at, at the club at the time in terms of them winning the UA, you know the European um, European Cup at the time. Um, you mentioned that obviously that it's uh, a club that is like, really good for ten, in terms of youth development. Now we're going back 30, almost 30, 40 years of that one. Where we are today, um, there is some clubs that have got a historic tradition of, you know, developing youth players. What was it? What, you know, what were the major things that was happening back then that you think are still consistent now? And how 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 dramatically do you think things have changed now in terms of what that looks like? The landscape has changed drastically. Um, but going back to my sort of time at that Villa um, in terms of youth development, there was the manager, Ron Saunders, uh, his assistant, Rob McLaren, and Tony Barton, who was his assistant manager, but he's also his chief scout. Then you had, um, in my time, they brought another coach in George Armstrong, or Russell Souls, be at Arsenal, and played for Arsenal, double winning team, the right wing, and George came for a bit. And then we had a youth team coach, who was a former player, Keith Leonard. He was a youth team coach when I, was, when I went uh, and I joined. And we all train at the same venue, you know, one of the original training grounds, Body Morif. Um, they're still there now, but expanded you know, drastically. But my coach, I know my youth team coach, Keith Leonard, my the big, big influence on me at the time was my reserve team coach, a fellow called Bill Shorthouse, God rest his soul. Bill, for those of you who know football back in the sort of 50s sort of thing, the great Wolves team of that era, we played alongside Billy Wright, who was the former England captain. Um, and Bill was a centre-back. And, uh, you know, I, I was obviously a centre-back um, and that sort of thing. And then he did a lot of work with myself, people like Brendan Ormsby, who, who went on to play a lot of games for, for you know, Captain Leeds, played for Villa, you know, in the lower leagues, but a really top centre-half, young centre-half. He, he, he's a year old older than me, Brendan, we came through together. Um, 
But Bill works on us individually, not just to set the defenders, but the whole group. And little nuggets, nuggets of information he'd pass on, obviously being an ex-defender was, was, was terrific. And stood me in good stead throughout my career, you know. Um, but one of the big things that that club taught is life skills. You know, they the holistic development of, of, of a young player was, was impairment, imperative for them and all the way through. Also, a lot of lads went on to play in Villa's first team, you know, like to Ray Walker, Dean Glover, Mark Walters, um, who went on to play for Liverpool in England as well, Wally, you know, Gary Shaw, you know, Gordon Cowens, Colin Gibson, Melissa Dennis, Gary Williams. In fact, when Villa won the European Cup, I think there was, um, top of my head, I think there's about seven other lads who came through the, the, the youth programme at Villa over the years to have been part of that squad when they won it. But there's a lot of individual work done um, on the syllabus. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you were fortunate enough to break through from the youth team into the, uh, the old proper reserve team, as it was then back in the day, and you hold your place down, you stayed in the reserves. And then your next thing was a challenge for the first team. Because those days, what it used to be, if you are not in the reserve, in the first, if you're not in the first team, then you you would play in the reserves, no matter how old you were. So I was playing with some really top players in the reserves at 17, you know. So that enhanced my development, and that's one thing I would say as moments in time where I personally would love to see um, the development game, the development leagues allow for one or two senior players to take part with the kids, the younger ones, to help them to bring them on. They be, it's almost like they're they were our coaches on the pitch. We were there. Yeah, we had we gave them the legs, and they you know, but they they were one they wanted to get back into the first team, so they performed, you know, and they would uh, make sure you 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 knew what the, the, the roles roles and responsibilities, and do the right thing. And if you weren't doing, you were told, and they helped you to enhance. You know, and it was a way throughout the club. I'll give, it, I'll give you a good example of how the club was. As we came out of our changing rooms onto the, at the, the building to go to the, 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 the pitches, here was the gymnasium, the old multi gym with everything in there. You'd, you'd see every, you'd, no matter who the pro was, whether it was a Jimmy Rimmer, the senior goalkeeper, or Dennis Mortimer, the captain, or Andy Gray, or Peter With, or the man, the man the, People would got would be in that gym, so it just the culture was no one walked past the gym. So whether you're a first team player, if if it, if it, you know always going every day, but there was always somebody in there working, or a group of people in there working, individual, not necessarily as a, a set routine of work. Because obviously when we did our gym sessions, as, as players, the coaches took that, then that was different. But individually, you you couldn't walk past it because the culture told you. This is the environment, and this is what it's about. And you know, we we had this thing where the younger lads we had the thing where we used to do what they call a four by two, four by two as we as we referred to it as. And basically, what it meant was every day we did four hundred sit ups and two hundred press ups, four by two. You know, and it became it just a, just a renowned thing. If you didn't do nothing else, you did your four by two. You know. Um, you, just, you just kept your body ticking over, really, as well as all the work you did in the grass. 
you know, we, we would we would get our spikes on, you know, for, for, for sprinting and sprints, you know, and so on and so forth. How the world has changed from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. I think it's quite interesting because obviously, you know, you talk there about, you know, the environment and, you know, some of the challenges that, that come with obviously, you know, you're alluding to in some ways some of the challenges that maybe some of the young players have today where they don't really get to maybe mix with older players as often get that experience that's been lent to them. Um, but we're also seeing a few clubs now in more recent times that have kind of, especially with their under-21 sides, are recruiting maybe ex-players or, or players at the back end of their careers who are looking to go into coaching and being part of their setup, both, you know, almost as player coaches. I think the most recent one of note is probably Man United with Tom Huddleston, um, you know, doing something similar, you know, kind of really ready to phase out, you know, at the end of his career in terms of being a player, but looking to transition to coaching and really, you know, do exactly what you've just said, really try to become almost that on-field coach for the players and lend that experience. But I think there's been so many changes, you know, it, it, it loosely, you know, you had your own kind of SNC program as well, though, you know, the four by two and the spikes for the sprinting. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what, you know, what was kind of being done back then, you know, and it kind of leads me on to a question I've been having a debate about over the last few weeks, and it's that, do you feel that there's anything really different generally that's actually taking place in terms of youth development and what that looks like? Do you think there's a right way to kind of develop players? And you know, what, we, what would your thoughts be to the point that there's a lot of coaches out there who um, attach themselves to certain players, but actually the reality is there's some players that would have been good enough regardless of whether the coach was there or not? Yeah, I mean, what, what, whatever level you work at or you know, coaching, there will always be players who are not going to be good enough in any in any industry, in any industry. It's like in a school setting, you have the same people in a, in, a, in a set one or set two for English, math, etc. Some will achieve, some won't achieve. Some will achieve more than some, more, more than others, and others will achieve less. That's just that's just the nature of life. But what I what I what I what I my thoughts on it um, in terms of developing players is look at the player. Look at what he's or he or she has got. Work on strengths, and work on and work on areas of concern. I've never really used the word in, in football terminology of weaknesses. I like to say areas of concern, because when you're talking to a a, a, young, a young a young person, the minute you start to use the phraseology weakness, how are they how are they receiving that message? How are they taking that on board? And once they start taking it on board, obviously said that I'm weak at this or not. Basically, to them, you're not good at that. And then that becomes an issue. They're often, in my previous life with the England and in development groups, we would go into clubs and sometimes we would record what we call a club visit and coaches would ask you to come in and, and I'll talk about the players and, and what have you. And then, well, he can't do this, he can't do this, he can't do this. He's not going to be good enough because he can't do this. And I would just sit and listen, um, and then I would leave them with this one. Why did he bring him in the first place? And the reason why I asked that question is, he must have been able to do something good that you saw in him while you brought him in. Why don't you focus on what he's, what he's good at? It's like I've heard the argument about Maradona, the great Diego Maradona, that he only had a left foot. Wow, what a left foot. Does he need a right foot if he's got a left foot like that? You know, so it's a little bit, uh, 
the old expression, he said, she said, she said, he said. But if I all focus on people's strengths and you do work on areas of concern, you know, um, I wasn't a particular good pass of the football. But those days, my job was to be a defender. Win it, edit, and as Alan Ball got his soul in England World Cup winning midfield player said to me and people around us, win it and give it to those who can play. So my job wasn't about being this and being that. When I was at Portsmouth, I had a centre-half alongside me, um, a lad called Billy Gilbert, and he was a top, top player. Played for Crystal Palace in what? That's, if you look back in history, that sort of refers to Terry Venable's team, team of the 80s. He was the center, one of the centre-backs in there. And Gilbo, was, he was a talented, talented boy. For me, he should have played for the full national team. Played for the 21 to one of you, but he's technically so gifted. He's a real Ferdinand type. Billy was that good at time you wear, he'd, he'd go into training with no laces in his boots. He was that good, <laughs> you know? Um, but a terrific but competitive and a terrific defender. So I just win it, I won it, and I gave it to him, playing alongside me. The least touches I had, the better. My touches was clearances. My touches was actually winning, winning the thing, because that's where I was brought up, to, to play to my strengths. As I got older, obviously I got better. And if, you know, I could give, give it to the fullback or give it to the midfield player, what have you, and then, you know, it, 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 the, um, the diag. But that, that was it, my stop ball, my stock ball from back to front, was if the ball's played back to me, I could side foot it 20, 30 yards down the side of the pitch to get the strikers moving or into the striker. Yeah. So it's those little things that I would say. So you're working on people's strengths all the time. At times I do see I'm going a little bit to and fro and deliberately for a reason. Um, at times I do see um, where there's an overemphasis on Everything has got to be precise, and, and but the game is not precise. The game is not, you know, the game is not, not everybody or not every coach. I'm going to use an expression here deliberately. Not every coach is Pep Guardiola, but every coach, and I think more in development coaches than senior coaches, they all think they're Pep Guardiola. And they all talk Pep Guardiola. They all do Pep Guardiola. They all, but what's the reality of the game? You know, you take a Liverpool team, they'll play more longer passes, not the word I use there, passes, not longer balls, longer passes, when it's on. Trent, it's that terrific diagonal, it's a long pass, it's a good pass. In my time as a footballer in, in the first division and playing against him in cup ties, Glenn Hoddle, the England, ex-England manager, what a range of passing he had, left foot or right foot. So people would actually say to him, don't play that pass now if he was, if he was, if he was developing because he, never got, he wouldn't get the opportunity to play. Everything was five, ten yards. Five, ten yards in the, in, in the development games. In the main, that's what I see. I think, I, think that's, I think it's a great point because that, I think that's definitely one of the things I've noticed in that regardless of what level they're playing at, regardless of um, rather, regardless of what level the first team's playing at, I think we've seen almost a... a, a a transition period now over the last kind of, especially the last kind of seven, eight, maybe ten years since the E Triple E's come in. But pretty much every academy tries to develop players in the same way, or in, in, on a general scale, in my opinion. 
Um, you know, they all want their teams to be playing out from the back and technically proficient. But then, you know, how, how much, uh, you know, how much support is that really giving the players if they're not all going to be playing in that type of environment at the highest level of the game? Are they doing enough to maybe prepare players at the lower levels, lower levels of the game where most of them are probably going to end up, whether rightly or wrongly? Um, and, you know, it just, it, just, it just makes you think, like, you know, ultimately what you've just said there about Liverpool, you know, the, the, the game is there to be won based on the number of goals you scored, not how, not how many passes you can make in the build-up to that. Mm-hmm. And it is about penetration, whether we like it or not. Yes, you know, there's different ways in which we can kind of um, manipulate the way we play in order to support ourselves in being able to penetrate. But actually, bottom line is this, whether you're Man City, whether you're Chesterfield or whoever you are, if that ball's on to go in behind and your striker is running onto it, that's the ball you're going to play. And that's the best ball, right? How do we move coaches away from that idea, idea that it's not about the principles when, in my opinion, it's, that's what it's all about? Well, in, in many respects, it's about the principles of the game, but it's coaches understand what are the principles of the game. Yeah? So if it's hard to play early, why not play early? And if it's not on to play, then you've got to think about retaining. So that's when you that's when you start to keep the keep the position based. And as the Dutch expression they'll use, start to probe. And while while you're probing, you're probing, waiting for the opening, cannot want to, to be able to play forward and recognize when you can play forward. So once you recognize when you can play forward, what do you do? You don't play turn back and then go short and square again. Then you play forward. Because you, you've, you've earned the right to play forward, because the opening, and I, I like in football to drive in a car, and the motorway is a, is, a, is a good analogy I've always used. When there's a, you're on the motorway and it's blocked, and they say, take the diversion, then the A roads, you get to your destination. Are you going to sit in the traffic, or are you going to give you a diversion to get where you want to get to, if you've got the option? Yeah. So football is like that to me. If it's on, you can go. If it's not on, change, 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 change the direction. Hundred percent. And I think for me, I've always, I've always, I've always encouraged coaches, especially from a coach development capacity, is that no matter what, you can play, play whatever way you want to play. But rather than look at it as we're trying to maintain possession, we're trying to attack in the wide areas, or we're trying to penetrate out, you know, through the through the midfield third or whatever, I think probably the best way to frame it is on the back end of it. Always attach in order to penetrate. Yeah, because if that remains your focus, then everything you do is, like you said, is it's a probe to get to a point where you can now penetrate, because that's what the game's about. And, and you know, with, without that, in order to penetrate piece, you know, I, I'd liken it almost to maybe what we saw under Louis Van Gaal with Man United. Mm-hmm. It was almost just just about retention of possession and not so much focused on actually trying to penetrate. That that's uh, that that's a cultural thing to a degree. Uh, if you ever want to dodge set up in, overall, yeah. But interestingly, if you take the World Cup, there was there's a I forget what game it was, and they needed a goal, the Dutch. And what did they do? They brought two big strikers on. Yeah. So now they're going to change the emphasis rather than playing uh, probing. They're going to more bit, bit more mix the no, I wouldn't say direct. I use an expression: mix the game styles. Yeah. So when to play short and when to play long. So in other words, it's effective football. Now, there was a comment the other, after the game the other day when Scotland won the game against Spain. 
and the Spanish, Spanish captain Ruben Diaz came out and said Scotland played long ball game. Now I used to experience that all the time with England national teams because whenever they, whenever they, they uh, so-called big the Dutch and the Germans or, or to the not so much the French, the Dutch and the Germans, especially the Dutch in particular, when they lost the game and the Spanish, when they lost the game to anybody, that expression always came out. Portuguese, the Portuguese were another one. That expression always came out. Oh, they played a long ball game. Oh, they did this. They're too phys they were physical. They were this. The minute they win the game, you know, we they, they were this and they were played beautiful game. I had to cease to go. Because it, it, it it's and answer to your question, that's where coaches get roped in rather than doing what's right and knowing the, the right things to do. There's more than one way to play the game. Yeah, but there's only one way to win it. <laughs> one way to win it is score more goals than the opposition. And that's it. And there can only be done through penetration. So, you know, I get, I get the concept of playing in different ways, but there's got to be a stronger reason than this is how I want to play. Yeah, because you, 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 I, I played for a manager at Leeds, Howard Wilkinson, and. People used to lambast him about uh, he, he, he played a direct style of play, especially when the Sheffield Wednesday they did this and then that. Howard had a team at Notts County in the sort of early 80s, in the old first division when I was playing. And at that time, there was 13 teams from the Midlands in the first division. 13 teams. You know, you got the East Midlands team, the Derby, the Leicesters. Um, Nottingham Forest, the European champions twice. And then you had the, Mid the West Midlands where I played with Birmingham and Villa and Coventry and Wolves, all in the third division. Notts County was also in from the East Midlands in there. So all, all together, there were about 13 teams in and around it. But he played, he played with a, a conventional sweeper. Again, going back in the day, what they'd call like a Franz Beckenbauer. Uh, yeah. A Rudy Kroll or a, a current, a, what's his name, um, Ron Akuman, that type, a lad called Pedro Richards, God rest his soul. Yeah, only 5'10, five, 5'11, five, playing against, we play alongside a big centre half, but they full back pushed on in the 4 4 2, 4 4 1 1, but played through the thirds. Liverpool played through the thirds back in those days, and they're saying it's a modern trend. It's not a modern trend. It's more, there's more emphasis on it. There's more emphasis on it, you know, and it's a bit like... Um, is there more emphasis on it because more people are trying to do it or because it's, it's there is more emphasis on it? You know, because I, th I feel like one of the, you know, obviously I, I've not been around as long as yourself, but seeing what I've seen over the last kind of 15 years that I've been involved, um, coaches seem to be getting younger and younger and younger. And maybe they're more easily influenced by the likes of a Guardiola, by the likes of a whoever else it is that's playing whatever style of play. Um, so it's probably, like you said earlier, that I want to be like Pep. Well, okay, you can be like Pep, but actually Pep's got Pep's got um, he's put he's put a massive budget to play the way he wants to play and get the players in to play the way he wants to play. So the reality is, are you going to be like Pep, or or can you just take some inspiration from the way he plays and the reasons why? Because even coming back to the point that we're making around the, the principles of play and penetration itself, if it's on to go long, Pep's doing it. <laughs> he's well, encouraging his players to do it. I was gonna I was gonna actually touch on about I've seen him a few times this year with Erling Ireland. 
they play a little bit more, that's why I use the expression, mix the game styles. Yeah. Because it's not one cap fits all in any game. Yeah. So they'll cross earlier sometimes now. They'll play down the sides earlier times. But the principle of play is still there. Yeah. Now, they did that last season as well. And times in, in times gone by. So they, they, they played what was on when it was on. I think the best example of that, I think it was about, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago where they were in the Carling Cup final against Arsenal. Yeah. But Arsenal did really well in like the first half, kind of really pressed them high, didn't really allow them to play out from the back. Um, so Man City basically said, all right, if you're not going to let us play out from the back, bang, one ball up top, Aguero's through and he scores. Now all of a sudden I have to drop off again, we're back to, square, back to plan A. So it's not, it's not something that's just been, you know, Change over the last couple of years, and ultimately, I think it's recognizing that, especially on the Guardiola style, his style really is to get his teams to maintain possession, as you said, probe the opposition, maybe into pressing the ball, creating little gaps in between, and exploiting those gaps really well through clever movement. Right. If you think back about Guardiola, what's what's Guardiola's influence? His influence is Johan Cruyff. Hundred percent. What's Johan Cruyff's influence? Dutch from his coach back in the 70s, 60s and 70s. So it's, it's, it's a continuation. Now, the way I look at football is this. Wherever the space is, if I can outnumber you in no space, I'm going to take it. Now, I always liken football to a degree to the art of war. When, if you look at war, and I talk about pressing, so the, 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 who, who presses? The generals are all there at the back in the, in the offices making the decisions and giving radio and through. Da, 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 da. We can't, they're, they're closing on us, so we've got to use the Air Force to get at them. So we've got to play over, we've got to play over, put into the game context. They're pressing us, so we've got to play over them. The point you just made a moment ago. So we've got to play over them. If there's space, we might have to go around them, down the side, or we might have to go and play through them. So we're going to have to take a few people out and play through them, bypass them. Combination, so we played through them. They broke down the ranks of the, of, of the military, you know, the defense force to get through them. Yeah, and then you put that into the game, simplify the game, and that's the game in itself, in, in my opinion. In my opinion, yeah, it's like a striker comes short, one comes short, one goes long. Now, which one is on? York and Cole, combination play, which, which, which one is on? And then you, you play that. That's why. I would hate to be a young striker now, to a degree, because the strikers are not getting the opportunities. Everybody wants to play three or four in midfield. Mm. And so what's the point of having four strikers in your club if you're only ever going to use one? Yeah, that's true. I mean... You may have to think about playing them in different roles. Still as a striker, you know, you may have to think about rather than... Okay, you want attacking fullbacks, but then you want to play with a 7 and 11 out there. So where's the fullback going to attack? Or the 7-11 coming off the line? Well, why not start the 7-11 in closer to your nine and then have three strikers anyway? Yeah. You know, and then get, then create your movement from there. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's various different ways of doing it. My, my mentality has always been, when people talk about style and... Uh, style and philosophy. Philosophy, I don't particularly like that word in football. I mean, personally, I don't, it's, not, it's not a word that gravitates with me. Um, I just like, for me, it's effective football. 
So what, what, how do you get winning football? It's got to be effective. It's got to be effective with, with the ball and effective without the ball. You can put another spin on that, effective with it and destructive without it. But it's still being effective. 100%. So, you know, let, let's, let's look at that then. Let's, let's go back to your journey then. You know, you're coming through as a young player at Aston Villa, mm-hmm. um, made the transition over to Birmingham. What, you know, what were some of the biggest things in your, in your mind that, you know, going from being, a, you know, uh, an apprentice at the time and obviously now getting to become a professional player? And, you know, how much emphasis was on your development still at that stage as opposed to just really focusing your mindset and narrowing down on the, on the concept of, right, it's all about winning now? And just, just to kind of layer on top of that as well, is at what point do you feel like it should really start to be kind of bled into the development of a young player that winning is a, winning is important? Because, you know, because there's a lot of people, that, you know, consider winning as a dirty word. Um, I don't personally. I think it's it's when you kind of, when you're winning at the detriment of the, of the, of the player's well-being maybe, both, you know, in, in any shape or form. I think that's probably where it probably... Maybe is a dirty word, but winning in itself, I think, is 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 actually absolutely crucial for the place to understand. Why do you play? Pardon, sorry. I I, I always say to people, why do you play? You play the sport because you play, love. Well, whether it's a sport, whether it's a game, you know, I, I certainly don't go to games. I mean, even if I'm playing PlayStation with my mates, I don't want to lose. <laughs> okay. I don't want to lose. Because you want to win. That's yeah. the outcome you're looking for. Yeah, hundred percent, and it's associated with that. Yeah, it's how you approach the game. To give you that edge to win, so winning, 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 and development for me should go hand in hand. I've always felt that because you, if you, if people think about winning that is not important, watch when someone loses something, watch when a child loses a game. Yeah, why should you learn to learn how to lose? I've never understood that concept. You don't want to. Nobody wants to lose anything. I think learning how to deal with a loss is, is, is good. There's a difference. But I think we've definitely gone to a culture now where it's much more... You get, you get rewarded for taking part. And I, th- I, think, I, think, it, I think it does soften, soften the player's mentality. I, I was brought upon playing football and you play to win. Yeah? It doesn't stop your development. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. In this country, there's a saying that, uh, from football terms, Bobby Charlton, Bobby Moore, that City Six side, one of the greatest England side, for obvious reasons, they won the World Cup. But if you look at those players individually, individually, they played. I played with. I worked with Alan Ball for six years. And you you tell the, the gaffer uh, Bordy that you know this doesn't matter. Father sides when he lost to father side, he would be the most stroppish person you'd ever wish to meet, and that for that for the next forty forty five minutes, because he he hated losing at anything. My manager, my first manager at Leeds, Billy Bremner, very similar, because you have to have a winning mentality. You're not going to win week in week every week, but you have that in you. You you know you, you it's, it's instilled in you to win. I remember when I was coach at Stoke, we knocked Manchester United out of the FA Youth Cup one year, 
and uh, Sir Alex was manager at the time and he wasn't happy with his group and he told him so because he, they represented Manchester United and even though if you listen to Ten Hag it's Manchester United we are expected to win trophies so how do you if you don't instill at the kids when they're young there, there, there are certain eight levels when it's about the actual technical development, technical development, technical development. And then when they get to a certain age, you gradually, you, you don't, you, 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 you're actually implementing that as you're going along. And then you take it to another level as you, as you, as you reach another level, it's more increased as you go along, more increased as you go along. So it doesn't, it doesn't, winning doesn't overtake the development. They go hand in hand. Yeah, I spent some time in Germany and and um, Holland during my coaching journeys. And let me tell you, let me tell you, winning is important at all levels, all age groups. But what they do, the emphasis on, there's a development core and there's a winning core. So in the younger stages, it's all about the development, development, development. To get to the next level. It's all about the development. We start to understanding what it means to win. Now, what stage is that? What age group? What what ages you start? It's it, 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 it's it's around the the, the Spanish college Juventiles. So you're talking around the um then sort of nines to twelves. So around the technical technical involvement involvement involvement. Eleven to twelves still technical involvement, and but now there's certain areas of understanding what winning means and for example what they'll do a lot they will play games against a lot of weaker oppositions deliberately to encourage their teams the winning mentality it's a bit like pre-season games you see senior clubs will play they'll go abroad and play the top team there's a competitive games and then they'll come back and they'll play like a a league one or a league two club, lesser, lesser, or, or some, some, in some cases, send a, um, a twenty-three to play against a combination against a non-league team because they and they, as they get closer to their opening fixture, they want to get back into that winning habit. So what the winning breed there's, confidence? There's a danger in that, though, isn't there? Danger in that, that um, if the players are conscious that the opposition might not be as strong. No, but you see, that's that's fact. But equally. They're developed in a certain way at the professional level to understand the ramifications beyond what they're doing. Of course. So it's 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 almost like a training game with a diff, with a, with an emphasis on the performance and gearing up towards the next level coming up. Yeah. So they they're they're increasing their, their levels now, even though they're playing against lesser opposition deliberately to take the, to get ready ready now for the next challenge, which is going to be the big the big fish. So to speak, yeah, because you can't play at the, you can't, you can't build your preseason, for example, at that high intensity games all the time. So you have to use utilize it, yeah, to get the balance right. But you know, at the end of it, you should come out on top, yeah. So that and again, that's going to enable your confidence going into the season, your confidence building. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, let's, let's go back to your... Well, so let, me just, let me just finish that point. So there's a purpose behind that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a purpose behind that planning. Yeah. And if you ever look at any pre-season fixes, it's, it's, it's like a periodization. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, we're building it up, building it up because ultimately the last and sometimes other people go the other way. The last game they want, or the last but one game, they want a real test. Start the other end, be like going back to the development point of the age groups. Start the other end, get the you know, get the passion and get the movement going and, and get the rhythm going, get the rhythm going. Now they're going up again up another level, more challenge. Yeah, and then the one the last but one is a really um umdinger, as we call it. To get them to get to get the juices flowing, and readiness for the for the final one. So I'm just conscious now. That obviously, you know, you you coming through as a young player. When 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 did at any point in your career as a player you start to think about these things? And you know, when did when did coaching start to come on your radar? And you know, what was it about your coaches as a young player? And obviously, I think, I, mean, I'm, I keep saying young player, but what was it about the coaches back then that maybe? caught your attention so I'm, i remember speaking to one of my one of, one of my um you know one of my first ever coaches recently and i said the one thing that kind of really caught my caught, you know got me engaged in his sessions was it was how 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 his attention to finer detail it just it just it just it just made me more engaged and i just thought oh, do you know what actually i, I want to pay attention to this my my coaches in my infancy um Coaching was a little bit different back in those days, if you like. It was individualized. We would go back and do afternoon sessions. Two, three afternoons a week, we'd back, back out. The defenders would go over there doing some heading or doing some 1v1s, 2v2s, what have you. The striker would be doing some finishing. And bear this in mind, I always say this to people, bear this in mind. Every time you do a 1v1 session, or two v two sessions, you always need an attacker and you always need a defender. So if you're working one v ones, two v twos for the front players, what are the defenders doing? They're getting a defended. And if you were, and vice versa, and so on and so forth. And if you're working a movement in midfield or whatever, then everybody's working. Yeah. So it's a case of now getting the players to understand what's going on, even though it's not specifically about you. But you're taking out of it what you need. And if you're doing it correctly, and the one thing that my coaches always did, they made sure it was done properly by both teams, both sets of players, whichever individual um, things you're working on. And, and how I can simplify it is this. The sessions were all around game-related because ultimately that's what it's about. Game-related sessions in, in subgroups, small, small sided, 1v1, individual, collective. Yeah. So, what, what, what would a typical session look like there? Because I think, I think there is, there's always this misconception, right? That um, you know, if we go back to our previous point about winning not being kind of the priority, maybe as, as often as it should be, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of critic, critical thoughts around how academia has kind of influenced things. Influenced things. Um, it's almost kind of taken the focus away around, you know, subconsciously people and us, you know, it's kind of coincided with this mindset of, yeah, it's not about winning, but actually it's about using different approaches and supporting players in this way and that way and this way. But actually, you know, I'm, you know, from the conversations that you, you know, that we've had in the past and even, you know, what you're sharing now, has it changed at all? It hasn't changed, but there... <laughs> It hasn't, but it has, and there's more influences. It will tell you that 
this way is the right way and that way is the wrong way. And that way, and back in what we used to do 20 years ago, is absolutely a waste of time. Forget all that. Nothing was right. Nothing was ever good. Nothing was ever good. But it's funny, isn't it? Nothing was ever good back then, but it was all how interesting how the English clubs, 77 Liverpool, yeah, I think it was 80, 77, 78 Liverpool, 80 uh, Forest, 81 Forest, 82 Villa. And then so on. And the point I'm making is we're all the English club dominating the European Cup and winning it. With no foreign players, by the way, apart from English, the only people from the British Isles in the main and the Republic of Ireland. That was your foreign players. Yeah. But what did Liverpool do? They played a European style of football. So you adapt. You adapt. And that's what you had to do. You still play your two big center forward, big center half. Full back will push on one side, one will stay. Up your side, you'll go the other one covers round. As uh, Guardiola did at uh, Bayern when he pushed um, Philip Lahm or uh, David Alaba into midfield to make that three. Liverpool did it great. They talk about a false nine, Kenny Dalglish or a 10. Dalglish was doing that for years, dropping and make a 10. People played with two strikers back in there, one, one on, one off. There's your 10. You know, so the game hasn't really, it's evolved, but it hasn't evolved. It has, it has. And I think there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of um, ex-players and people that have been in the game for a long time who've actually shared more recently quite a few frustrations in terms of how people are trying to rebrand the game with new terminology, new phrases, um, new trends but actually these are things that have just you know from my experience and my my understanding just really just gone in cycles yeah i, I think i think the, the, the one beauty i would say about the modern way of doing things is that it's like having a cake you bake the cake and we're going to put the icing on the cake but we're now going to put a bit of sparkle on it yeah to give it an extra little bit of a great presentation to the to the eyes and also a little bit of crunch behind it. And it's terrific. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of nuances that's come into the game that's really enhanced the game. But I, I, in my in my makeup, the, I'm not in long in coaching, as you know. In my, in, in, my, in, my, in my head, the principles of the game will never, ever change. Because it's 11 v 11. Yeah. The goal, there's a goal at one end and there's a goal at the other end. My job is to stop you putting into my net, uh, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to put it. Uh, you, I've got to try and put it into your net. 100%. What we're doing, what we're doing here, yeah. To to do that, you can do it in various different ways. And if you've got the right players to play a certain way, do it. Yeah. If you haven't got the right players to do it this way, and you've got players to do it that way, then mix it and do it. Uh, That's the game, in my opinion. Always have the coaches in like you know similarly it's funny you use the analogy of a cake but I literally put it that way as well. It's like you know one thing that we have to we're all agree is at the end of this we need a cake. Yeah. Now whether you want a chocolate cake, a marble cake, or Victoria sponge cake, that's your business. But at the end of it, it needs to be a cake. I.e., we strip it right back. As as you said, my job is to try and score in your goal and stop you from scoring in mine, and vice versa. That that's the bottom that's the bottom line. And if if that's not the priority, then that's not the game. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, different ways of doing it, different approaches and what have you. And 
you you as a coach recognize how you're outnumbering somebody in the, in, the, in the central areas or in the wide areas. The other coach thinking, well, if they're outnumbering me here, what do I need to do to make sure eliminate stop them not outnumbering me? So you, you, if you're thinking all the time and you're working all the time as a coach, but the question you pulled a moment ago, where did it, where did it start for me in terms of my, my coach journey? My coach journey actually started at 16. And you might think 16. Yeah, what I did. Because what I did, I went back to my old Sunday school, my Sunday team that I used to play for, a boys team, as a young player, at 7, 16. And just helped out with you know, the 10s, on the 11s, on the 9s, whatever, you know, the junior team. We didn't have 10s and 9s and such. It was more the the, um, the second team, the on, the on the 11s, on the 12s sort of thing. That's how I started. You know, every time I go back to my parents in Birmingham and I drive past, I, I said, you know, I said to my grandkids, that's where I played my first football game in terms of a, a, a Sunday league team. Yeah, there's a 3G on there now, but it was two grass pitches when I do it. So I know where it is. You know, and it, 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 it holds a lot to me because that's where um, a manager... My first manager said, took me, thought someone recommended from my school team and said, boom, boom, boom. And I went and I played again. I played there. So that's where, so I, I would then go back and help the team out in the coaching as I, as I became more, if you like, in the, in the, in the, in the realms of a professional game and apprentice. Then on the other came on. I carried on doing it. Wherever, wherever I've been as a player, I've always coached a team, whether it's a pub team, whether it's uh, the local, um, Playgroup team, I say playgroup, you know, in terms of the youth youth club um, teams or whatever. Um, I did some I did some work volunteering in the past as a, as a youth worker, and I take the teams. You take the teams, and so there's many, many ways to learn to become a coach. And yeah. so that was really my infancy in my, my coaching journey. Your, your playing journey. How old were you when you when you finally stepped away from playing? I was in my fortieth year. years mm. of playing um, and having influences around coaching so mm. I guess if you know if you start your journey back at 16 by the time you got to 40 you would have had a really different outlook on what that should look like and what it could look like so what were some of the major um, things throughout your playing career which started to shape the way that you maybe thought coaching should look I had some really influential managers when I was at Villa, I didn't really pay attention to coaching what was going on, but I knew what was going on in terms of development. I knew my coaches cared. Yeah. I knew the coaches put our well-being first and foremost, because that's what we saw on a daily basis. Yeah. Simple little thing like, you know, look, you don't look so well. Go on, go, go in and see the physio. Not like now where the physio is on the grass with you. The physio was never on the grass with us. Physio is in the in the treatment room treating people, treating players. So if we had a, if we had an injury, we had to we, we were told to go in. If there's something seriously wrong, you know, someone collapsed or whatever, someone sprinting and got and got him out. No mobile phones and our, our training ground, the, the uh, block was further away from the pitches, obviously, and stuff like that. So all those things you you, you got used to, but we knew there was a caring. And the environment was good, and so on and so forth. The coaches that I worked with, I could see, you could see thinking back at the way they worked, very detailed in everything that they did. 
everything was structured, nothing off the cuff. There's a plan of work. We're going to follow that plan of work and that syllabus. And then, for example, if we went into, we did a lot of individual work, a lot of individual work. And if we then went into like an 8v8, or if we used to play a lot of five-a-sides back in the day, yeah, but there was an emphasis on defenders playing the defender, and you can step in and join in at the appropriate time. Forward wanted to score goals. Yeah, goalkeepers sometimes would play in goal, sometimes they'd play out. It's like people talking about put play the keepers out now and get them joining with the session. Well, keepers have been doing that for years. Yeah, one of the keepers I played with a guy called Tony Cook, the Man United goalkeeping coach, when they won the treble. Yeah, TC, best one of the best outfield players I saw, but he's, he's a goalkeeper. But what well, left foot he had. Yeah, technically very, very good. Yeah. So it was a case, and also different back in the day, goalkeepers were huge. Different body de definition and composition. Yeah. You had six foot four, six foot four, six foot five goalkeepers. You don't get that tall goalkeeper that's such now, unless you're a Fraser Foster. Normally you'll get about a five, eleven, six foot, six one. Yeah. Peter Check, I think, was one probably one of the tallest late. The latter stage, the, the gear is about five, just about six, one, six, two, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So, do you think there's just an acceptance now that actually you don't have to face a set profile anymore? Do you think there's, there's, there's a more of an acceptance that you know we can we can have variety, we can have um, different people because ultimately it's no longer about it, it, my experiences anyway. There's there's less emphasis now on how things are done, but more emphasis on is it getting done? Again, for me, for my observations, a combination of both. You'll go one place and it's, it's this, or one place and it's the latter. Yeah. So it's a case of, for me, as I said, coaching is about being effective, a bit like playing, being effective for that group of people I'm working with at a particular time. Now, again, because I, I did say I don't particularly like the word philosophy, but people may have their habits and their style of play, yeah? And that's what they're going to bring through to their club. So within their club, they've got a culture. That's why certain managers get lambasted about, about playing. I worked with Tony Pulis at Stoke City, yeah? Tony's team were hard to beat. Funny enough, when I played at Aston Villa as a kid, our teams were hard to beat. When I played at Portsmouth, our teams were hard to beat. It's funny that, isn't it? At Leeds were hard to beat. When we got promotion at Portsmouth in the 42 league game, we conceded 26 goals. But we scored a lot of goals and we played 4 4 2, 4 4 1 1. We played with two wingers out-and-out wingers. A lad called Vince Olaire, Vince Olaire, Vince Olaire from Crystal Palace, and another one called Kevin O'Callaghan, who's been at Ipswich and played for Republic of Ireland. We had two central midfield players, Mick Kennedy, God rest his soul, and Kevin Dillon. Yeah? The two centre-halves, myself and the lad Billy Gilbert, like I described. Kenny Swain, white right-back, Paul Hardeman, left-back, and obviously people came in, like Mick Tate and people like that. Paul Marin and Mick Quinn up front. Villa was the same. 
winning the European Cups, European Cup first division. Two centre-halves came at North Alan Evans. Two of the footballs, Colin Gibson and Kenny Swain, or Gary Willem if Gibbo weren't playing. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dennis Moore to my Gordon Cowens. Tony Morley, Des Bremner. Peter with Gary Shaw. Liverpool. Yeah? Clem, Ray Clements, Phil Neal, Alan Kennedy, yeah, Phil Thompson or, or Mark Lawrence in here, Mark Lawrence and Alan Hansen, yeah, whether it be Sammy Lee or Jimmy Case at the flank, Ian Rush and Kenny Dalgleish, and so on and so forth. Forrest is exactly the same. So the point I'm making is, you whatever players you've got, you're still playing effective winning football and culturally. And what was being done then is being done now. What was being what's been done now is being was done then. In the main, there are subtle differences, of course. Yeah, you're, you're gonna get that right through gen- generational differences, cultural differences, yeah. especially now in England player um, at the top level in particular, we're starting to see come in. You just gotta be quiet, uh... can you hear me now? Yeah, better, yeah. Yeah, so just saying obviously more and more foreign influences are coming in. So you, you know, yeah. there is naturally gonna be that those subtle changes and especially like I said, you know, with the generation of coaches becoming younger and younger and um how they're maybe influenced in different ways than maybe I was fifteen, twenty years ago, and maybe you were, you know, when you were that age. It's almost we've got to accept obviously there's change in the world um and society. But I think and embrace it. Yeah, hundred percent. It definitely embraces. Embrace it in the right way. Embrace yeah, the right way. One hundred and ten percent. And I think you know, um, it is about 
ever you know ever ever evolving and on you know that that but not losing sight about what the game's actually about and I, you know, I mean I guess, I guess you know my mind's kind of going you know and I, I've never shared this with you but I remember when I first started coaching this is in like two probably around 2009 probably when you started with the FA and funnily enough mm-hmm. um in terms of that that period of time where you was with the development teams and the youth teams and I actually remember you know seeing a session that you delivered um, and saying, I want to be like him. <laughs> I want to be like him. Um, and it was, it wasn't because of anything particular that you did. It was just almost, there was a, almost a freedom to the way you coached. Mm-hmm. Freedom to the way you coached in terms of how you connected with the players that you worked with. Um, it wasn't necessarily my way or the highway, but there was almost like, no, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to make sure that you know, we're pushing you to be the best you can as a player, but we're also going to allow you to express yourself, um, which, you know, which is almost a revelation in some ways because you don't you don't see that often. Often, when you get to that that, that you know that stage of the game and that level of the game, it's it probably is a bit my way or the highway. Yeah, well, you see, my my like I said to you, go back to my um, analogies of Villa or reflections in Villa developing. Holistic development is important. You hear that a lot. Holistic development. Where did, that, where did that come from, though? Because you know, was that was that something that was genuinely spoken about, or was it just something that was done? It was just. It was just. It was just accepted. It was just the. It was just. It was just a done thing. So within that, there's also challenges. And within the challenges, you're allowed to express yourself. If you don't express yourself, you can't be challenged. You don't know where you, where, you, where you can take it. And that's 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 that is the way it was. So as a coach, I was already being influenced, and then I went and worked. Uh, I, like I said, I had Alan Ball as well, who was very much that way inclined, um, and then I had Alan Wilkinson. He was doing. I was doing things, and I didn't appreciate him at the time. I have to say, as much as I should have done, looking back on it. But when I started to really get deep into coaching now, my, my coming towards, not coming towards the end, but still thinking about going to coaching, I always wanted to become a coach. Even when I was, like I said, from 16, I was doing it. So in my head, I was already there. I wanted to do it. And I started to look at things. And he came and, you know, the diets and psychological aspects of things and, and the way of training. Well started to do and it started to, it started to now really have an Im- impact on me and every day was a challenging day every day was a training day a learning day so you had to learn about not just the technical the tactical the holistic development so people centeredness became really important without me realizing it initially but then i started thinking hang on a minute I can see what the gaffer was doing there, you know. I can see what they were doing there. Now I've got it. Now I've got it. Now I've got it. So it would have been wrong of me then not to have that as a, I guess, an influence on me to a degree. You know, to make, because obviously if you, if you start to think about something, something has triggered you, it's influenced you in some way. And now I'm thinking... People-centered, holistic development, challenges, expression at the right times, 
and so on and so forth. Right. And that, that's, that's the way I coached. But beyond that, there was a lot of detail beyond what I wanted to do and how I worked. Because the detail was in the cook. On my coach education journey, I was blessed to have worked, you know, uh, with people like Dick Beck, God rest his soul, Don Howe, and, and, and people like that. Um, Alec Gibson, Martin Hunter. Some really, Steve Rutter, some really good, top quality coach educator. John Peacock, who I worked with at the FA. And they would always break things down. Process. People frown upon it. But I'm going to teach a young child to do this. And I'm in a classroom. And you're teaching them, and you just, you just go, boom, 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 boom. It goes over their heads. When I was, um, I was taught many years ago, I don't know if you remember Peter Shreve, the old Tottenham manager, assistant manager, Pete. And Pete said, he used to say, whenever you, whenever he's not, in, not in, in work with the coach in, in the football world, the manager, he was all the cabbie. So he ordered a second job. So I, I became a qualified, I'm, I'm, I'm a qualified teacher, but I don't want to go in the classroom week in, week out, day in, day out. But I, what I would do, I would volunteer, I'd go into some supply work where, where possible, uh, you know, and some, um, uh, what's where, where to do the exams and, and support the exam. What, yeah, yeah invigilator. Um, so I'll do those sort of things. And I used to do a lot of work with SNC children um, who had issues, obviously. And then I, you, 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 the more you do things like that with, 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 with children that, like, like, you know, have got those sort of issues, you've got to do one thing. You've got to break things down, chunk it down, and go to detail. Coaching is no different. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I've picked up in my journeys, being able to break it down is obviously one part of it. I think one of the biggest observations I've got, though, is where coaches really can let themselves down in really being effective in that process is how well they actually check and clarify understanding of how the message has landed. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can break it down to the other degree, but if someone doesn't understand, it doesn't matter how many times you break it down or what you break it down to. So it's, it's, it's checking as you're going along. Checking as you're going along. And there's not that, and I go back to Don Howe. Yeah. It's what the one day he said to, he said, he did, he did something at Lillishaw before St. George's Park, he's Lillishaw. And he did something and I thought it was very clever. And as a coach, I picked upon it and I started to do it all the time. I would use different colored cones. So if I'm gonna go, let's say I'm gonna have an 8v8 possession, but then I wanna make it bigger to go into a 9v9, extend it or whatever, bring the keepers in or whatever. All he did, he put one set of cones down in, 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 and then the, the next bigger cones down on the outside. And I kept looking at that, and then, he, but then I, as I'm watching, he, he was going, because I used to go out early, watch coach, I used to watch, like to watch coaches set up. So he made one end smaller deliberately. And he looked across at one of the coaches, and the little nod went, and I thought, something that, oh, I wonder what he's doing. I'm wondering what he, I didn't know what he was doing, but I'm wondering what he's doing. And then the session was going on, and what have you. And then he went, hold it there, have a drink. So all the lads were having a drink, he went, watch. I did this, 
but I recognize the pitch is too small. So you just took those cones away and just, just moved them back. And they, 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 he's got what he wants. But he was actually making a point to the coaches about as your session is evolving, checking and understanding. If it's not right, do not be afraid to alter. Because if you let, if you kept it going at that all the time for 40 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, what's the learning outcome? The learning outcome look differently. So in, in answer to your question, that is a way. Checking as you're going along. You you, you, you allow, you know, the, the, and, the, and the A license and all that, you, and B license, you talk about free play. Just let it go. You're like, you, need to let, you need to see what the players understand. You need to see, go back to the, the, the children in the classroom, what they understand. You need to give them their heads. You need to allow them to express themselves for you to know what they have to say. You just going a little bit low again. Yeah, sorry. I was saying as much as it is about checking what they understand, it's about making sure that the activity is actually appropriate and right yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the key points that you've touched there about, you know, not being afraid to adjust it, because I, I say it to coaches all the time, especially when I'm working with them, you know, in mentoring capacity as well, in that if you've seen something's not working, why are you letting it continue? You're not wasting time. That's wasting time. I think there's a difference between if you haven't seen it and then you've observed it and you allow it to continue. I think, you know, you're not capitalising on that because, you know, what happens now if you make that observation within the first five minutes of, I don't know, a 90-minute session? Are you just going to let the, the rest of the 85 minutes go to waste? Mm. I think you have to be confident as a coach that actually just because you've got a session plan doesn't mean that that's what exactly how it runs the session. It's just in, in, in some ways a roadmap to how you're going to get there and what, you, what you're going after. But it's no definitive in that. If you've identified yeah. something, and I, part, I think the biggest part of coaching for me is, is actually how well can you observe? Are you, are you, I'm just going to use the exact same phraseology. Observate. That's why in your checklist, observation is important. Recognize something, and a match day. Yeah, manager on the sidelines because they're, they're not out there playing now, but they're making decisions because based on their observations that hey, this fullback keeps getting inside our wide play and get 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 the wrong side of him. Adjust your position, or or your midfield players playing 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 early. Get closer to him to stop him from playing early. So that's observation. That's checking and observing what you can do. The players haven't seen it, but other manager on the sidelines or you, someone upstairs radioing down to you. This is going on, Gaffer. Da 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 da. Make you make you just. And if you don't make you just, what's going to happen? Likely you're going to get beat. Going to cause you a problem. So make the adjustment. Hundred percent. I'm. I'm I mean, I'm conscious of time, but I'm conscious of so many things that we haven't really touched on yet. But, you know, I guess the th thing that's going through my head is, you know, you've had so many experiences as a player. Um, yeah. And, you know, wonderfully, you've obviously started off by saying, actually, I, I became a coach when I started playing at 16. Yeah. When, when I became, you know, a scholar at 16 and an apprentice at 16. So it's like... Anyway. I'm, I'm glad you rephrased that. I was an apprentice, not a scholar. Yeah. Okay, I, I, that's what I was going to say. So, you know, it, it, it's best part of maybe four decades that, you know, you've had that exp those experiences now. Mm. So, you know, obviously, and there, would be, there would have been so many changes, not just from that point to the end of your playing career, but obviously from the end of your playing career to going fully fledged into the coaching and the management capacity and now where you're at now, having kind of maybe stepped away somewhat from the coaching, but actually still working with coaches and managers as, in a mentoring capacity. So... I guess in it, it would be really interesting to hear 
if you had to go back to the start of the coaching journey, maybe not at 16, but maybe at the end of your playing career more specifically, knowing what you know now with all the experiences that you've had, all the different environments you've been exposed to and the people that you've been influenced by maybe, what will be like, maybe like the top three things that you wish you knew back then, knowing what you know now? Um, one, one of the things that I, 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 uh, I look back on, and I wish I'd, I'd, I'd had this at that particular time, was to, be, to put myself first a bit more. Now that might sound strange. Be more self-centered in terms of, if I was more self-centered, I think I could have stepped further with, with self-belief. Because I, I, people look at me, this, 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 again, everybody's got a perception of people on there. And they've got this thing, this fixation about my physicality. Okay, even people I played with. And remember one, what, 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 one, one former player, colleague of mine, went to the TV big, big way. And he said to me one day, I went to the studio to announce in England on the 19th squad to for European finals. And he said to me one day, Big man, you know what I'm going to go and say, don't you? I said, I know what you're going to say. He said, I didn't see it. Didn't see me being a coach. But I said, well, ah, you got perceptions though, haven't you? Doesn't matter to me what your perception would be, what your perception is. Someone I respected and I liked, but it didn't really matter to me. But at the time it did. So I would say in that respect, I wish I'd have been myself more and that allowed others to affect me. And that might sound strange to a lot of people, because they, they'll see me and they'll see, like I said, my, my stature and this and what I've gone on to do in the game or whatever. But initially, I allowed people to affect me. So what, what does that look like practically? Because I'm, I'm thinking about it from um, certain coaches and right. some of the coaches that I'm working with at the moment, especially the younger ones, mm. who maybe, I'm not sure really what that means to be themselves right now, because they see some of the influences, they see other coaches around them, and. And I see a lot of imitation going on. People, people. Well, I, I, I was a very shy person, and I still think I'm shy, but not, not to the, the entity that I was. But I know I'm shy. So you're reluctant to do things. You're reluctant to express yourself. Yeah, and what that was that was one of my my, my things initially. I was reluctant to do things because I was thinking, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're thinking. And one of the hardest things for coaches is to work in front of their peers, even lads like themselves who have played hundreds of games or whatever, because you 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 always want approval. But in the end, I just said this. The reason why I'm here is because I'm good enough in the latter stages. The reason why I was here in the mid stages, I'm on a journey. So to get that journey from A to B, I need to get on that bus. So I always say, I use an expression, if you miss a bus back in the day, what do you do? Do you run after that one that's gone or do you wait? Me, um, it depends how far I've missed it by. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a little. Um, it's a. It's a, it's a fact. And it's a true story. With a little bit of a jovial thing behind it. We're in. We're in Montague with our under 16s, and one of our players, um, and he won't mind me saying it, Saido Berino, 
Sano was a terrific striker from there. And he missed a couple of chances in the first half. Um, I think we were playing somebody like, uh, I think it was Russia. I think it was Russia. And uh, no, it was Uruguay. Uruguay. And he missed a couple of chances. And at half time, I said to him, What are you worried about? Oh, the system to Kenny Swain. I said, What are you worried about? And the lads, he missed, he missed a couple of chances. He said, Don't worry. So I said, let me, ask me, let me ask you a question. And again, because I had that relationship with people, go back to the holistic thing. When you miss a bus, what do you do? So, you know, or when he had to go, he said, I'd get a lift. I said, I forget he couldn't get a lift. Before he could get a lift, what do what, what you do? So I'd get a bus. And if you missed the bus, what would you do? He said, I'd wait for the next one. I said, good. Why would you wait for the next one? Because that, like you just said, the other one's gone too far, depending on how it's gone, but the one's gone, I can't chase that. Right, so another one's going to come along. Yeah. He says, keep doing what you're doing because you're getting in there. Can you finish? Yeah. Well, just relax and finish. Scored actually second half. So when they came in, he was with uh, Ross Barkley and one or two others, I remember Ross in particular, and they were giggling away. And they were, they were looking at me and giggling at it. I said, well, what is he giggling at? So he, he waited for the bus. <laughs> you know? So you see the, the influence of the, 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 the people, the holistic. Keep doing what you're doing. Because we believe in you. Yeah? So there's your learning outcomes. There's his learning outcomes. Keep, if I said to him, you know, change your runs and, hold on a minute, those 10 crosses are coming in. But it's not in there and all of a sudden. But it's that belief. Now, I wish I'd had that belief when I was a younger coach. But as I evolved, I started to say to myself, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm going to do for the right reasons. And there's a reason behind it. And I'm, this is the process. How have I been taught? There's a reason why I've been taught and I've got this. Why do I understand what I've been, what I've been, what I've been uh, taught? Or why do I understand it? And that's the key for me. Yes, I understand it, but what is it I understand about that? So I've always been that one, and the other one for me, which, which links into that, is to put the players, put, put yourself first, because you need to deliver, but also put your players at the centre of your, everything that you do. Because if you're right, you'll be right for them. And then you can go ahead. And also, you've, you touched on it earlier, to not, and I mentioned it in, the, in our sessions yesterday with the, the conversation we were having with the CD things, do not be afraid to be adaptable. Do not be afraid to be adaptable. Yeah. And that's what, that's what, that's how I, that's how I coach. Just be adaptable because coaching is about situational. Yeah. Life is about situational. I want to go for a walk, but it's raining. What do I do? Do I still want to go for a walk? If I do, what do I need to do? I need to put a coat on or a light, a lot of rain jacket. So I can still go for the walk. If I don't put that on and I still want to go, I'm going to get soaked. Situational. Life, you know, football's no different, in my opinion. And that's how I, that's how I, that's how I, uh, I remember, you know, I was away with England and uh, I coat with, with Belgium and Scotland and, um, I forget what the Indonesia was, but I know definitely Belgium, Scotland. 
I think I think it was it was Switzerland, Switzerland. And the coach said to me, one of the, the coaches said to me, Coach, can we have a chat? Because we used to meet at the same hotels and whatnot. And yeah, talk and speak or whatever. It says, Can you explain to me why and how your teams are always your, your team change within the game? And you you very you say very little and what have you. And basically what we did, we would change systems as the game is evolving. Because the minute the ball rolls, is your system what is it four four two? Or four three three or three five whatever it's, it's changed automatically because the ball's moved and the players have to move into somewhere else what does guardiola do they're all moving yeah, 100%. yeah so as i said to him it's situational but we we worked on it that they understand when to step in and when to step back when to press when not to press when to come make it compact when not to make it compact so in other words, we we're compact. We want it. We want to expand. So we want to be as big, big, big and wide as possible to give them a problem, so we can play through or round or over, whatever, whatever, depending on what of you. So I we 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 practice. So you're checking your understanding, and now we say to them, show me, because the game's the exam. Show me. So now I can see what they've picked up, what they understand, and then they deliver. subtle part to what you're saying there this is what I, I, I say to coaches all the time is that that game when they get to it you know you've referred to it as an exam I think it's also this is an opportunity for you as a coach to hold yourself accountable and recognize actually have you done what you think you've done in terms of preparing the players effectively have the messages landed in the way that you've wanted them to do and can you trust the job that you've actually done or are you just going off ego yeah I've did my part and then actually still being in control on match day, telling them what to do, how to, you know, making all decisions for them, and not trusting the job that you that you maybe should, you know, we, that you've been tasked to do essentially. Yeah, you see, there's there's some there's some coaches, and I, I was one of these for a long time where I wasn't a, a churchgoer, as I call it, on the sideline. I just I, I wasn't wanted to sit there. I was never one of those. If you wanted me one of those, don't don't appoint me. I was never one of those. There were things going on in this country for a long time. We follow suit. We speak to what we're talking about the coaching. We follow trend. We follow suit. A foreign coach comes in, doesn't say anything. It's okay. We, we all do that. An English foreign coach comes in and he's, you know, they say, oh, he's, 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 he's getting his players at it. He's, you know, he's working the players and what, and it's done. But a British coach does it and he's animated. He's too animated. He's too, he's too that. So I just said, you know what? I need to be authentic and I need to be me. As a defender, as a player, I drove players. Coming here, tucking here, boom, push on the. As a coach, on the training ground, I did that, the same thing. I worked my players. Match days, I would always work my defenders. And there's a reason why I worked my defenders. Because I didn't want to concede. So I made sure when I could see they were doing something wrong, it's like you're having a child or a grandchild at home, you see they put it on next to the fire, are you going to allow them to get burnt? And then you go, told you. No, you can see it's happening. Tuck in. And then I watched Jurgen Klopp and Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger and Mikel Arteta now and even Pep. 
So you need players, no matter who they are, they all need reminders. You're not playing the game for them. Mm. Mm. Just giving them reminders at the appropriate time. A hundred percent, because obviously from a coaching perspective, you're all you're constantly looking out for these things. They're they're in the midst of the game, so it's, I think the challenge is how how well can you align them with what should be happening and checking in with them, making sure they understand that you know if something's a new concept for them, they're not going to get it every time. Yes, mm. we want to give them some ownership, we want to give them some experiences and give them some freedom to play the game, but actually because it's still a new concept in some cases, they're not going to remember it all the time. And, and if we if we recognise and we, you know we're open and honest with ourselves as coaches to understand that, then you know it becomes situational, like you said. And then the other thing, what you need they need to understand, in my opinion, is recognising when you put something forward, it takes time to be digested. When you eat your food, it takes time to digest it. Players learning or anybody learning is the same thing. That's why with mentoring. We'll have a discussion, as you know. You have a discussion around about whatever the, whatever the agenda is. And then I'm not on top of you because I need you to go away and reflect. I need to go away and reflect. And that is the key. So when you do your practices, players need to go away. That didn't go so well for me today. Well, why didn't it go so well for me today? Yeah, I didn't quite get it. Well, speak to the coach. Speak with your teammates. Joey, what did you think? What did you think of that? Oh, I understood that we should have done that. Oh, I knew I got it now. Go back to the classroom. And I always use um, a good example of maths. Now, I wasn't a great, I'm not a great um, maths person or whatever. In particular, to be honest with you, I don't like the subject. It just scares me. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, in some, for whatever reason, I don't know. Maybe I've got a phobia about it. I don't know, whatever. But my point is this. You give a, a, a child a sum, and I always use fractions as, as, a, as a good example. They're doing this, doing that, and then you come to check the word, and you notice that they've got it slightly wrong. You don't then take them away and then destruct everything. Ah, that was rubbish. That wasn't good. Da, 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 da. And then you've got to do it all over again. No, no, no. Quick. You've done boom, 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 but you're only up, up, um, up, um, what, what, a number down or, or a point down. Yeah. So you, you, you know, instead of being 4.5, you, you know, 3.5 or whatever. So you said, go back. Your method is good up to a point. So the method is good. Now, just have a look at that for me and see where you can get to that four uh, by moving your, your decimal point one space. And then what have you got now? So the method's fine. The method's fine. It's just a matter of that little thing. So you, again, you're checking how how they how they how they how they've come to that conclusion. How why have they come to that conclusion? And the reason they've come to the conclusion is just one thing's not being placed. And yeah, the that's, where, that's where the checking, understanding, you're looking at the yeah. working out, and obviously recognizing. Okay, how far down the process are they along the right track? Yes. Where they start to shift to the point where actually, okay, we've identified where the error is. Yeah. Or where the mis where the misunderstanding or the misperception has come from. Mm. Um, no, I get I get that. So you know, you you talk there about being authentic, being adaptable. Mm. What else would there be? 
for me, one of one of my one of my biggest things that I've I've felt anyway as a coach is be engaging. I think I think I think that's a brilliant one because you know over the last few days I've had a few conversations with different coaches who have said you know the players don't want to shot the players don't look like they want to be there the players you know show up and it's like they don't care and, and my my thoughts straight away go to oh. Maybe at younger ages, sometimes you get a point where players come to sessions because they you know, their parents have just dropped them off. I get that. You get to a certain stage where that doesn't become it. That's not a thing. You know, maybe fourteen upwards, thirteen upwards, maybe depending on the child. Yeah. Definitely at fifteen, sixteen. Listen, the kid's not showing up to come play football unless they want to come play football. So if they're switching off and then you're not, in, you feel like you're messing about. The bottom line is whether you like it or not, your session's not good enough. You're right what you're saying, that the, the players have to feel a sense of belonging. You know, it's like football Football, in many ways um, reflects and resembles life. If you don't feel wanted, you don't deliver. You've got more chance of getting what you're looking for if someone belongs or in, you can engage with somebody and you build a rapport, you build a relationship with, with people. Yeah, um, and even if you don't quite maximize everything, that person will still give you more gravitate gravitate towards you more because they can see what what you know what what you look what, that you're engaging with them and you're giving you've got time for them, uh, and time can be a, a personable, time can be the football aspect of it. But within the environment you've created that they can gravitate towards you and the people within the group and that's what i go, i go back to my beginning at villa that's what we had today to, to, to this to, the, to even to the point now if i need to pick the phone up and speak to any of those lads then i can yeah and you know it's so it's so interesting because obviously you know come completely different journeys, different experiences. And, you know, one of the things that I've always said to, my, to myself is that, you know, it's like that old phrase, right? People only want to know how, how you know, only care how much you know when they know how much you care. Um, and I've always said that coaches, the coach's way to spell the word care is T-I-M-E. Mm -hmm. It's by giving them, giving them that time. And it's by, you know, and it's not, it's not exhaustive. No. It's, it's not a lot of time. But it's dedicated time. It's intentional time. It's deliberate time. So even as little as you know, rocking up to sessions, I'm like, oh, no, how was your day? You know what I mean? Those little things. And you know, I think one of the most recent things that's kind of really just made me reflect and think, oh wow, actually that's quite interesting. You know, I had a situation about about a month ago, and I was um, supporting another coach, and he was you know delivering on a match day, and the team. It was a cup game and the team won 4-0. And I had my observations throughout the game. I was there for the whole game. And in my opinion, the team played nowhere near well enough. Yeah, they won 4-0, but they, they scored four opportunities out of probably 35. Now, what was interesting was he'd done his debrief at the end of the game and he, you know, he, had, he had a conversation with the players and... Then he looked over to me and said, you know, have you got anything you want to add? And I was, and I deliberated for a second. And I thought, yeah, actually I do. Um, well done on winning the game. My honest opinion is it wasn't good enough. 
Um, and I thought for a second, you know, should I, should I not do that? Um, but then I thought to myself, my job at the end of the day is to help the players become better. Mm-hmm. My job at the end of the day is maybe to give the coach some guidance and support around maybe different ways of working. And one of the things I'm kind of, you know, I hold true to is coaches need to hold themselves and their players accountable. Yeah. Now, just because they've got a level of success in terms of winning the game, yeah, well done to them. They, you know, praise them on what they've been able to achieve. Actually, hold them to accountable to a standard, yeah. and don't just accept. Yeah, you know, you won four 0 Actually, no, it wasn't good enough. You know, if we come back to your analogy earlier on using the preseason games as training games, yeah. this was the perfect opportunity for that. Are you maximize? You know, we know that we're gonna. You know, you know, going into this game, you're probably the strongest team. You're probably gonna win. Yeah. So you shouldn't be, um, you know, to some extent, you shouldn't be celebrating the fact that you won because you was expecting that. Yeah. You should be, you know, you should be celebrating the the level of success beyond the result that you managed to achieve in the game. So, but what was interesting in the reflection for me was that he'd, you know, the first question I asked him after the after he sent the players off because that was the only comment I made to the players. First question I asked him was, you know, how did you find it? And the first thing that he said to me before anything else was, if I'd said that to them, there would have been chaos. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, well, that's quite interesting. But then he's also been facing certain challenges with that group as well. Um, and I said, OK, well, I think the major difference is, is that they understand for me that whenever I say anything, it's never coming from a place other than this guy cares about us. Yeah. And that that relationship and that that precedent has already been set to the point where they know whatever I say, even if it is a critique, yeah, they're never going to take it the wrong way. Um, and then I'll liken it to the you know I I use the I use the analogy of vegetables. Whether we like them or we don't, we know they're good for us. They're good for you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So um, because I've already set the precedent that I care about their development, I want them to get better, whether they like it or not. They're going to take what I say and accept it, yeah. Um, within reason. So it, it, was, it was quite interesting to you know to get your views in terms of no, as you were talking, relationship. as you were talking, I was just jotting a couple of things down for my coaching uh, umbrella, if you like. Mm. And when you work with players, and as you said, they'd have won the game, and it could have been a lot more. But the fact that they missed a number of chances um, and they, 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 they could have done better. So the, the, the thing there. So at times, especially when you're working with development, you can you can win a game, but what have you actually, apart from the result, what have you actually achieved? Okay. So sometimes in, in, in victory, it's a great time to reflect. Great time to reflect. So I'll just look thinking about it, just taking my coaching head back to when I was coaching and the little things we used to do to emphasize your point. So we could simplify and say, okay, in possession, we're going to look at this. We're going to look at retain or counter. So we've won it back. We're going to retain it. Is it on to counter or do you retain or play early? So it's the same sort of similar thing. We're going to look at width. I'm going to look at penetration. That's three things in possession. 
So we've won the game. Did we get those things in the game? That's the learning outcome we're looking for. The result will take care of itself, one way or the other. So we set a target within the game, especially when you work in development. So there are our learning outcomes, yeah, as a team. Yeah, so we're looking at retain or play forward early or counter counter attack quick, quick or keep it. We can't all counter, even though we want it, we can't all counter quickly. Yeah, or and then we're looking at width and penetration. Okay, so how do how do we penetrate? We spoke about it in the beginning. We can penetrate over the top, around the sides, boom, boom, one of the diagonals, whatever, switch play, whatever term you want to put on it. So whatever the result is, we're going to say, okay, did we achieve that? So that's our, that's our, that's our targets within the learning outcome. And if we did, how did we do it? Yeah, I think it's really it's a really interesting way to look at it. I mean, I was thinking back about what you said earlier around, you know, the art of war, comparing yeah. that to the principles and, you know, mine's probably a little bit more silly. I look at it as like, you know, that, that children's book, we're going on a bear hunt. Yeah. We kind of catch a big one, right? Um, essentially, if you look at using that as an analogy, well, we can't go over it, can't go around it. So, what we're we going to do eventually, we're going to go through it. And I kind of say, right, well, we're going to do things in reverse. Can we go through it? If we can't go through it, we might have to go around it. And if we can't go around it, we might have to go over it. Um, Situational. 100%. But the key thing I've always said to them, you know, is, don't be scared. Like, do what's needed, right? Um, and I think the beauty of it is, and I think you know, we, we we come back to the, the even the cake analogy. End of the day, we're trying to get a cake. Yeah. What type of cake we end up de developing is 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 a separate is a separate thing. That's where the you know the influences the the situational aspects come into it. The context comes into it. Am I playing? You know, in the Premier League, am I playing in La Liga, wherever else am I playing? You know, am I, am I, who are the opposition? How do we, how do, how does our cake now need to be different because we're playing against this opposition, against that opposition? Is there enough considerations around those variables? And you know, ultimately the list is endless, right, around the yeah. considerations that could be made. But the one thing that we need to kind of maintain that is everything should be leading back to that cake. Yeah, and within that, you talk about respecting the opposition. Yeah, because they have a part to play in your in your performance. 100%. And people forget that, you see. And then the other side of it, that's that's the in-possession analogy I've given you. And the out-of-possession thing I'm saying, out-of-possession, press or drop. Now, people talk about low blocks and high blocks and this and that. You see, the, if it's under press, you press. If it's not under press, we drop. And when we set, we'll go together. Yeah. Don't press in isolation. Don't press in isolation. If you go, if you go in isolation, if you're in war, out of war again, you go and you, you take that jet up there on your own, they're going to blow you down. You've got no cover. Yeah. So think about the game, cover and support, out of possession. Yeah. Yeah? And then you look at that, and then you go, my mentality is always, I always want to show outside. From the front, from the, in their back third, if my wide players can show outside, get them outside, we lock them off down the, down the channel because everybody knows what's going down there, and we just work in unison. You don't want to come through, especially international football, you don't want the opportunity to play through the centre of you because there's more options for them. Yeah? 
So you, you, you're now reliant on your 1v1 defending. If it gets beaten, then the, the support cover is on automatically because you're in that position already, ready to, ready, ready to rock, as we call it, ready to rock and roll, as we call it. And then from there, if you're showing outside, you're getting compact centrally. Now, we've lost the game, but did those things in the main take place? Did they score from a wonderful free kick? But in the main, those things took place. We can work. We, we, what do we do next week? We work on defending set place. And we, you know, we make sure that we, we sort of keep those good things going. Yeah. But but I think there's something very subtle in there as well, right now. It's that recognizing that what allowed those good things to take place. Um, and what I mean by that, and coming back to your point about respecting your position and understanding that, you know, I'll give you an example. My team's been great from playing up in the back for the last 10 games. But actually, if I reflect back on it, the oppositions have never pressed me and stopped me from playing out from the back. So mm. Have they really been great from playing out from the back? Or have they been great from playing out from the back against a team that doesn't press? But then in game 11, now all of a sudden the team presses. You're no good at playing out from the back anymore. So which one is it? You know what I mean? And it's also recognising what's... Is the observation actually what's happening? Or is there actually the observation of what's happening without the context making a completely different story? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's just really important to kind of pay attention to those things. Is are yeah. your team actually doing this? And then or is that what it just looks like? Yeah, and then I'll set you another challenge in a different way. If you've recognised, we talked about adaptability earlier. If you've recognised that they're, they're playing out from the back and but the, the opposition are not really pressing us and making us make decisions, you're not making challenge decisions, okay? So now all of a sudden, you you might then set a, a training session up where you're challenging them in training to see when the event the eventuality comes along when someone's really pressing them now, what are their capabilities? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's, it's about managing the opposition to you know exactly. to get to get your scenarios out right and manipulating the practice in that way. But and and I, and I think it's a great, it's a great point because I think that's another thing that maybe doesn't get often discussed anymore as much as it used to. Um, around the difference between facilitating, coaching and managing practices. Yeah, yeah. You see, pe people talk a lot about, you know, again, trends are, Joe Bloggs does it this way, Fred Smith doesn't do it that way. Well, you know what? I, my mentor, I've always respected the opposition because without them, there's no game. And they're going to give me a problem and I've got to solve that problem and I want to give them a problem. And hopefully they can't solve my problem but if they're going to give I've, I've, I've solve my problem, I've got to be ready for it. I'll give you an example. Steve Holland, who's the under-20 national team assistant manager. Steve and I go back a long way. And Steve was a, a cabinet manager at the crew um, and then followed me to Stoke after I left. He was also the under-18s coach. And we got on really well, Steve and I, over the, over the years. And I would say to him, I'm going to play 3-5-2 on Saturday. I said, okay, right. Boom, boom, boom. So Saturday rocks up, I play 3-5-2. When I said to I'll, say, I'll also say to him the same, but well, I'll change if I need to. And then he'll go, what are you doing now? And I'll go, I'm giving you another problem. So we, we, we were actually coaching the game as coaches and just reflecting and using a good, they were development games. But with the same emphasis doesn't go away from, I want to beat crew, crew want to beat me. And so, so on and so forth. But the principles of the game are still the same because I, I, we're working in development. So we're challenging these players. Are you adaptable? 
to go and move, you know, step in to go to the centre back and go on to the move out to the right back when the full backs pushed on. Because when if they lose it down that side, the likelihood is that they'll try and attack down that side. So my right centre back had to be comfortable moving across. As it so happened, this lad I'm talking about, as it transpired, a lad called Ryan Shotton. Yeah. Ryan played a lot his first team football at Stoke City as a right back. He's a centre half. In fact, he's a striker when I first had him. And then he came as centre back. But he played a lot of games at right full back because he was used to moving over and be comfortable in those in those sort of situ in those sort of situations. Do you, do you think there's maybe a danger that there's a part of maybe observation, especially from a technical tackling standpoint, that young that for newer coaches has kind of been lost in some ways? Put the emphasis on it. Um, I I think for me. I don't blame the coaches. I say blame. I don't hold them accountable to a degree. Who I hold accountable is those who are delivering to them because they're not, at times, they're not getting the right education. My, 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 my challenge and my question to that would be do they have enough information to be able to even deliver it? Right. Do they? Interesting question because we touched on something earlier, which I think will answer the question. The game has gone to, in my opinion, too much about academia rather than the game. Yeah. And that's where I think it's been over-influenced and equally under-influenced. That makes sense. Yeah. The fact that it's over influenced. Yeah. The, the outcome is not is not what is is not is, is it not effective as, as as effective as it should be as the consequences of that. So yeah. that okay, so my, my question to that would be for those coaches who may fall into that category mm. or into that into that bracket, um what will be the key considerations you'd be asking you asking them to think about? Go away. And reflect on your sessions all the time. Don't stop reflecting. Don't stop analyzing. And then think, well, this isn't why is this happening? That's happened because this, 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 this is good. Why is it happening? Even when it's good, why is it happening? And how can I make it better? Self-reflection is absolutely important. Really important. I I although I'm not actually coaching physically, I watch a lot of football. I watch a lot of the European football. Yeah, I watch it. Football's on. My my uh, my office is just. I'm just in there and I'm glued. I could watch five six games on a Saturday, on a Sunday, a weekend, no problem. You know, I go from one to the next. You know, now the women's games on. I watch the women's game as well because game football's football. Yeah. You know, football and I I watch and I and I'm I'm watching it from a coach's perspective, and I'm saying first half I'm going to be Bayern Munich. Second half, I'm going to be Chelsea last night. Yeah? And midway through the game, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this now and see what they do. And they bring in a substitution. What would I do if they were bring in a sub on? You know? It's been like I go back to what we spoke about the Dutch earlier in the conversation in the World Cup. They put two big centre-forwards on. Yeah? And they changed their game style a little bit to suit the occasion. But they became adaptable. They're adaptable. 
yeah, situational. Because ultimately you want an outcome, you want a positive outcome. Your back's against the wall. You're not gonna lie down to go and keep, keep beating me up. You're gonna come out like a box, you're gonna come out throwing. And then the, the coming out throwing like a rabbit ain't gonna be good, or what you know, like a wild animal ain't gonna be good. But eventually, what happens? You gain control. And coaching, coaching, there's so many different fallacies to coaching. If, if it's applied, you I think you'll get more, more effective coaches. And I'm not just talking about game-effective coaching, because the game thing is one thing, but especially the, the, um, the technical side of it, development. We, when, we had a situation when I was a, a cabinet manager at Stoke and the 18th coach, where the goalkeeping coach would say, can I have, can I have the, two keep, the two kids over? First in goalkeeping, now don't do shooting drills, really. They'll do five minutes, and then they're gone. They don't want to do the shooting and diving for, for injuries and all that. It's understandable. Which I don't want to get sometimes because match day they've got, to, they've got to dive on a match day, haven't they? <laughs> you know, but anyway, it's, it's a new phenomenon. And one coach, goalkeeping coach, this goalkeeping coach do it, they all do it. And again, that's my point about coaching. Not authentic, trend. Monkey see, monkey do. Pardon the expression. So they'd say... Uh, Keep so I'm 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 in the middle of a nine v nine eight v eight. I've now got I've I've got the goalkeepers now. So what I would do, I would set it up. You have got the goal, and I'll see if I can do something where you can and I'll and I'll, I'll, I'll hold it. Up. I'll set the goal up, the pitch up. Okay, so I've got a pitch and I'm playing, you see it here? I've got a pitch. Yeah. Just a scrappy field drawing. And then all I'll do, within that, I'll put a, a, I'll put two cones down either side. See, that's small goals. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say to my strike, if you score in here, with no, we have no goalkeepers now. If you score in here, you only get one goal. Yeah. But if you score in these corners, there's two goals. Do I need keepers? No, definitely not. And I, think, I, 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 I do similar stuff. Because the session is still going on and the keepers are in there anyway. But now the keepers are not there. I want them to score in the corners anyway. Yeah. So I'm encouraging them to score in corners. Yeah. Yeah. And this, and sometimes I, I play the 8v8, 9v9, whatever it is. And I say to the GKs, go and work in your passion for 10 minutes. And I'll just do that without the keepers. And then bring him in. So my lads get used to finishing in corners. Yeah. And then my defenders now are forced to go even tighter because they've got no keepers behind them. Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, look, look. these are the different constraints. You know, this, this is constraints led, to, led approach before it was branded as this constraints led approach. <laughs> Uh, and it, it, I think that's what that's what we get. I think sometimes we get we're getting too lost in um, lost in the acad academic side of it. I think there's a, there is a lot of influence. I think it's definitely some of it's got benefits. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. To, it's good to understand rationale and uh, the underpinning of why things work, maybe and how they work. And but I think it it, it can sometimes de detract mm -hmm. from the game itself and. You know, I, I just, I just feel like we, 
we're moving to a point or we have done in in some ways where there's a possible danger of having a load of people who are just theory listen the, the, the fo football's not played in a classroom never has done and it never will be the one good thing you, you have to understand it and take take the best part of it and utilize it properly on the grass or the, yeah. you know, the training field and that's why practice designs are so important because practice design has to have challenges has to have an outcome so you set your practice up to give that so when people talk about constraints and all that you know constraints come on we're talking about football yeah, so constraints in basketball. You know, if you look, if you want to know about football, watch basketball. Because they talk about counter attacks. That's a bit. That's a bit. That's the best thing. You ever speak to Thierry Henry about football? He'll always tell you, if he was running a football club, he would always have a basketball court in there. The reason being, five v five counter attacks. That's why people play five sides a lot because it's quick. Boom, 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 boom. Transition. They use the word transition now. There's a game. Turnovers. And they become repetitive. So you learn to defend against counterattacks. You learn to attack against against, against uh, eye-pressing defence. Quickly. 8v8, 9v9. 10v10s. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah? With intensity. So you're playing the game. But that is, as I said before, is a game-related practices. You can get everything out of that. Get your full backs against a wide players, get your 1v1s. You can corner the area off 1v1s, both flanks. Center off against strikers, midfield players against midfield players. One midfield player can go, two midfield players can go. You play with a three or whatever, whichever way you want to do it. But crosses you go in, you must have three in the box. So you get three in the box. Where the three going to come from? We've got number nine, we've got a nine. I want to, I want, I, the seven is crossing, the seven is crossing. Midfield player can go and join me, 11 can go. And I've got three in the box. What's Man United back in Ferguson era? All that three in the box when they're scoring a goal. Not always, but in the main. That's the principles. Get three in the box. Why? Got more chance to score. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. No, it's been a it's been a real pleasure. I'm sure we could probably sit here for hours and maybe even days going on about all the different things that have evolved in the game and where coaching's going. But I want to say a massive thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of questions and thoughts and considerations that you know you've given people to think about off the back of this conversation as well so you know massively appreciate it thank you again for your time man you're welcome and it's been good it's been, it's been a long time since i've sat there and talked about the game um the game's evolving and uh yeah the trends of the game and coaching whether playing or coaching is fascinating it really is there's no right way and there's no wrong way yeah but it's okay. I always go and say, do what, be authentic and do what you think is right for you and your players that you're working with. And there, there's your style. Not one, not, not one, um, one way is the right way. One cap doesn't fit everybody. That's why you have different sizes of hats. It's all different. You know what? And I'll just add to that and just to, to really finish things off is that there isn't a one right way to do it. Um, and where I've kind of encouraged the coaches to kind of go towards now is the right way is the way that works for those players. Effective. In that moment, right? Mm -hmm. The right way is the way that works. And if it works, that's it. No one can tell you. No one can tell you that's not coaching. Yeah. Yeah. But 
the one thing I would leave you with is that and we were touching a moment ago is that just be and you've started that that bit just because you've won the game doesn't mean you've got out of it what you want. So go into the game with some learning outcomes or objectives, learning outcomes, in particular in development. Yeah, because then you've got you 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 keep you, what you're doing. You're improving your blueprint as you're going along. And there's the word I don't particularly like in football. There's your philosophy evolving. It's evolving. Philosophy evolves. Yeah, no problems. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.